and they would always be there. For the river flows ever onwards. The end. And with that, Black River is completed. Oh! Hey there, streamers! Glad you can join me. Uh, I was just finishing up another project. Nothing for you to worry about. What is that outside? Alright, something's outside banging around. I'm gonna have to go check that out. Got an episode queued up for you, though. So, sit back, enjoy that. You're listening to the bloodstream. And this is the final episode of Netflix November. Board streamers, this is episode 18 of the Bloodstream, and this week I'm going to be talking about the movie Hush. The movie is directed by Michael Flanagan, who I've become a huge fan of. The first movie of his I saw was Oculus, and he just knows his horror movies so well that he even managed to make a sequel to the Ouija movie pretty good. Not great, he was hampered with a few things, but still, Ouija Origin of Evil was a solid enough horror movie. And full disclosure, I actually liked the first Ouija movie. It's not a great movie, but it's fun for entertainment. And, I mean, you know some of the other stuff I've watched for this. So, yeah, Ouija is leaps and bounds above what I talk about here. But I'm not here to talk about Ouija. There might be certain Ouija movies coming in the future, though. Hush is a movie about a home invasion which is not new territory for horror movies and is pretty much a go-to idea for a plot. It's generally something you can do on the cheap because you only need a couple people, maybe four or five at the most, to really tell the story. You set it all mostly in one location and then it just you gotta sell it on the story and acting. All of which Michael Flanagan is really good at in all his movies. The idea behind this home invasion is the person whose home is being invaded is deaf and mute. Which, if you can put your mind in that sort of situation, someone who literally can't hear it coming, having to deal with the home invasion is a great new way to ramp up the tension of what would otherwise be a normal home invasion movie. But let me see here. The movie's about Maddie. She's a writer. She lives in the middle of nowhere, deep in the woods in the country. And everyone worries about her being so far removed from everyone because of her disability and if something goes wrong and it's never good to isolate yourself like that. And I don't know, I'm sitting here, I'm a writer, I have a disability of my own, and I get a lot of people worried about me being so isolated and alone. I don't know, this movie doesn't seem at all relatable to me. <laughs> yeah, right. I am so glad I did not watch this movie in the dark. I would be freaking out, staring out the windows, turning lights on and everything. But that's enough of me setting up the movie. I'm gonna go jump to the trailer, and then I'll be right back.
after the last few episodes, you know I've talked about wanting to kind of dial in how to talk about these movies without really getting too into details. And I think this week I nailed it. Which is good because I had the added challenge of not having a whole lot to clip. Because the lead character is deaf and mute. So there's not a whole lot of dialogue in this. In fact, there is only one single clip outside of the trailer in this entire episode. I honestly could have done without it, but figured I'd drop in something in the middle of the episode just to give everyone a break from listening to me for half an hour or however long this goes. One of the things I love about this movie right off the bat, I love the sound design. It's a natural and smart decision, if you have a character who's deaf, to use really good sound design because you're going to set things up and have everything really crisp and sharp and really in your ears so you hear every single detail. And then when they get inside Maddie's head, they pull all the sound away and it just makes that silence all the more palpable. It's a great bit of, uh, well, not visual storytelling, obviously, uh, oral, oral, oral storytelling, you know, with your ears. It's a good way to clue you in that this character is deaf without <laughs> using words. Maddie's just busy going about her day, getting breakfast ready, trying to do some writing, struggling with that. Her friend who lives down the road comes by to drop off one of her books and they and practice her sign language. So you get to meet someone else in the movie and after they chat for a bit, she heads back off. Maddie unwinds for the night and if not for her being deaf, she might have noticed Sarah running back up to the house in the middle of the night, banging on the door and covered in blood. But any attempts to draw attention are cut short when she shot in the back with an arrow. And this was another great moment where they pulled out the sound and we just kind of watch it from Maddie's perspective. Or, I mean, we see what's going on, but hear it from Maddie's perspective and she's just completely oblivious to it. So, so great to have the horror right outside her door. And we see everything, but she hears nothing. The killer, in one of my all-time favorite horror masks since Michael Myers, and I would even argue that this mask is clearly inspired by that, just stands there and watches bemusedly as he slowly comes to the realization that this girl inside the house can't hear anything. I don't know how they did it, but they got a perfect smirk on this mask that works so well for the moment and is somehow expressive when just being completely motionless. That's a testament to the creation of the mask and the actor behind it, knowing how to use it. And the hunter, as I'm going to nickname him for the rest of the review, he has so much fun with this. This could be one of the easiest kills he's ever done, but instead he decides to toy with her, as any good predator would be very tempted to do. He sneaks in and wanders around the house without being noticed, but then Maddie gets a Skype call or whatever from her sister. And the sister catches what looks like some movement in the background. Could be Maddie's cat, could be the wind, a, a shadow on the wall, anything. But once that happens, even if there was a completely rational explanation, all alone in your house in the middle of the night, paranoia starts to set in. I know this mindset so very well. But he stays hidden for a little while longer and gets back to toying with her once she thinks nothing's there. And he starts sending her photos of herself from her cell phone to her computer. That may be one of the scariest, most disturbing uses of technology I've seen in a horror movie. I've probably seen worse things done with technology, but the, the pacing and directing of this plays out so well. That's what makes this work more than more horrific things being done in other movies. At this point, though, the hunter can't really hide anymore, so they do have their face-to-face -face confrontation. Maddie realizes there's something going on, and she locks all the doors and windows. 
Now, sure, you could argue, well, why didn't he just use a rock and break one of the giant plates of glass in the, the doors? Well, the answer there is simple. The guy's having fun. He's a cat toying with a mouse. If you've ever watched a cat and a mouse, they love to let him go and run and then chase back after them. He is having fun. So, sure, she's stuck in the house, he's outside, and he does the natural things of taking out the power, the internet, and her car. And I got a bit of a chuckle when she tries to log on to her neighbor's internet and she doesn't know the Wi-Fi password. The wonders and downfalls of technology. Because the laptop still works, you could use it, but with no Wi-Fi, either in the house because he's shut it off or can't get on the neighbors, it just it's so great. Maddie writes a message for the hunter on one of the windows, trying to get him to go away, says she won't say anything, she didn't see anything, she never saw his face, and he just stands there, pondering for a moment, and then he removes the mask, completely removing that bargaining chip that she never saw him, can't identify him. There's something so deliciously evil about that. So much confidence. He's not going anywhere, he doesn't care if he sees her. The only reason he's there is to kill her. It's not taking out a witness. Again, he's having fun. It's so wicked and wonderful. And you know what? We have reached the point for our first, last, and only clip of the show. Can you read my lips? Can you? You've seen it now, haven't you? Seriously, Maddie, maybe you could come back and live with me. No, I worry about you. It's not good for anyone to be so alone, Squish. I can come in anytime I want. And I can get you anytime I want. But I'm not going to. Not until it's time. When you wish you're dead, that's when I'll come inside. Do you understand me? Nod your head if you understand me. Good. Then we can have some fun. Enjoy it. At this point, we've got the whole setup done. We've had the confrontation between the two characters. This is pretty much the end of Act 1. And I am hooked. The tension is great, I can see a number of ways things could go from here, but I'm not really clear how it's all going to end. And if this movie can stick the landing, this will be a great movie. I have such high hopes because of the pedigree behind the creators. You do get a lot of the general home invasion stuff, it's... I hate to go back to the phrase, but it's really a cat and mouse game, as, you know, she tries to escape, she tries to get help, but he's always there. But like I said, it's just done so well and so perfectly, it's well-paced, and I don't think I ever had a moment of where I looked at the screen and went, Oh, come on, you wouldn't do that, or you would, why don't you do this? Everything is well thought out and believable in such a way that this is the sort of situation I could imagine people going through. 
And in a surprising small touch, I like that first blood does go to Maddie when she gets him in the arm with a hatchet during one of her escape attempts. The movie does break up the back and forth at one point by having Sarah's boyfriend show up. He doesn't last long. And aside from that, you know, you generally know the plot by, of what this movie is. You don't know the details. You don't know exactly what each character does to each other. So I'm not going to get into that. But it, if you know home invasion movies, you generally know the idea of what goes on in the 80 minutes or so of the movie's runtime. And it all builds to a conclusion using a storytelling device that is pretty much unique to this movie. And I don't know if any other film could have pulled it off in such a way. And yes, I'm being vague because I don't want to reveal what happens. It really threw me off at first when it started happening, and I wish they had kind of dropped in a little bit more setup for it in the middle of the movie. They do talk about what they do at the start, and it just needed that one little breadcrumb somewhere in the middle to kind of connect the dots a little bit more. But they do set it up fairly at the start of the movie, and I do kind of get wanting to set that aside and just letting the audience forget about it. If you mention it in the middle of the movie, you kind of see the foreshadowing at that point. It really worked for me because I myself am a writer and it's a bit of a, a writer's trick that they talked about. Not one I use myself, but I kind of get the idea. And possibly my favorite moment, which I do want to talk about ever so briefly. It's a little spoilery, but it doesn't really ruin the ending. If you want to check out now, you, you can skip ahead a, a couple minutes. When things are at their bleakest and Maddie thinks there's no hope, and Maddie thinks she's going to die as the, the hunter is starting to get into the house. She runs to her laptop, which may not have Wi-Fi connection at this point, but is still a functioning computer, and she has her manuscript open. And she does something so smart and so out of a writer's brain. She sits down in her ma at her manuscript, writes down a description of the guy that's coming after her, and leaves a short, heartfelt message to her family, saying she loved them, she died fighting, and, you know, stuff like that. It's yet another great use of technology because a lot of people wouldn't think to do that with a computer once the Wi-Fi's out. The laptop's still on, has charge. Such a great way to leave a breadcrumb for the cops to follow after she expectedly dies. Does she die? Does she live? I'm gonna let you go watch the movie for yourself. Because you know what? You really should watch this movie. Once again, Michael Flanagan comes along and gives us a great adventure that it plays with established tropes, doesn't do a whole lot unique with what a home invasion movie is, but fills it with enough detail and skill that is unique to this story and characters that it makes one of the best home invasion movies I've seen. This might be my favorite home invasion movie, but it's kind of competing with one which I will admit is not as good, but has such a great twist in the middle of the movie that goes in a completely different direction, and I just, I love it for that. So, bonus review, go check out Mischief Night. Oh, I love that movie so much. I really don't have anything more to say about this movie. Uh, it's great. It's well made. It's well acted. The star of the movie as Maddie, she perfectly plays the struggles of being deaf and mute in this horrific situation. And being those things in this situation ups the terror and horror so much more. And the hunter, I love how he has such joy in what he does. You really have no sympathy for him. You don't. It's not that kind of a villain, but he has this charisma to him, and it's such a blast to watch. Netflix November comes to a close with three stunning recommendations from me: Other Life, Creep, and Hush. 
These are three movies you absolutely need to see, and each one is different. Next episode begins December, and I don't got any special gimmick planned. I got a Christmas movie lined up for the end of the month, but aside from that, it's gonna be back to normal with just the weird shit we go through. I'm gonna try to keep to this format. I, I'm trying. I'm still trying to get the balance between talking about a movie and not talking about a movie while still giving you clips and setting up jokes. I started dialing things in a little better with this episode, so I'm, I think I'm gonna go forward with being a little vaguer in this show, hopefully a little shorter. I hope you're liking the new format. If you like the more in-depth look at things, I do text reviews over at Triskaidecka Files where I do exactly that every fortnight or so on every 1st, 13th, and 26th of the month. Although even those I'm finding ways to make them a little shorter, finally. But if you like the older format in the audio version, let me know. I have no problem going back to it. It's a little more work for me, but I don't mind. So that's... You would think after 18 episodes I would have figured out a better segue into wrapping this show up, but nope, not yet. If you've enjoyed listening to this episode, you can find us on iTunes. Just look for The Bloodstream, you'll find us there. We're the one that's not a medical podcast. While you're there, please leave a rating and review. Those are always helpful. We're on Facebook. I've got a site at thebloodstream.tumblr.com. You can always find all the content at my home base at Triskaidecka Files. If you've got suggestions for the format, if you got movies you want to suggest, you can hit me up at any of those places or shoot me an email, phoenixfoenix at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and keep streaming.
Don't worry. It'll only hurt a lot. <laughs>